0: This podcast is sponsored by the Women in Revenue. Welcome to Theodora Speaks. It's not every day you meet someone that's fresh and sassy. My guest today, Janisha Jones, spans across three of my five industries in STEAM, technology, science, and arts. Janisha is a musician, a singer, a songwriter, where she's a data analyst, and also is a musing publishing expert. I had a great conversation with Janisha all around tech and music, and you know how tech is near and dear to me. Listen for when Janisha talks about diversity in tech and how we're experiencing a regression. We also get on this tangent all around music and genres and our favorite genres and artists. She's just a breath of fresh air where she's doing so much good with the brands and the companies that she owns. She owns four to five companies as an entrepreneur. She came from the record label side of the house, and being a corporate refugee, she's now an entrepreneur who has thoughtfully launched those four to five companies, and has spokes on her wheel, that are thoughtfully woven together, where not only is she bound to succeed, overachieve her goals, but she understands the important and the power of networking, community, and giving back to a community. So sit back and enjoy this episode. Women in Revenue lives in a world where every woman has access to a thriving, supportive community of powerful, diverse, and daring members. As a nonprofit organization, they exist to serve women in revenue-generating roles across marketing, customer success, and sales, with goals of workplace equity, inclusion, and career acceleration. Women in Revenue is a transformative organization which elevates, highlights, and encourages future female leaders. Their community strives to remove barriers and power career trajectories forward. Together, they unlock new opportunities for women in revenue, generating roles through networking, education, mentorship, and many other benefits. Visit womeninrevenue.org for more information. Janisha, great to meet you. It's yes, awesome, yeah. awesome to have you today. You're something that I wouldn't put the two together, but you do beautifully. A data analyst and a
1: music publishing expert. Yes, there's not so many of us on, this, on the dark side of the uh, industry, but it is definitely a valuable skill set to have.
0: And your love of music and tech, where did that come from?
1: I actually started out uh, going to school as a major in music technology and a minor in opera studies so actually my background is in performance um but we were moving from a uh, from physical to digital sales at the time of my going to school and i realized that uh, technology is just going to be a big um, avenue for people to manage their businesses and offer new business models to the industry and so um, I think by way of starting my career in publishing and understanding some of those challenges in terms of um, managing the integrity of data helped to garner my interest in the technology.
0: So you empower women of color
1: in the music industry to
0: and provide a safe space.
1: Uh, my podcast, Pub Royalty Queen Podcast, was built as a way for me to, first of all, ex- expand my network because... Um, As someone who has been in non-front-facing roles for the past 12 years of my career, it's very isolating being the only woman of color in most of those rooms. So um, because I was not front-facing, I realized I needed to to expand my network, to connect with people who may share the same experiences, um, some of the same challenges that I was going through. Um, But what I realized was that there are a lot of challenges that we've not been able to share publicly. And that a lot of these women have just been holding on onto the podcast became a bit of therapy for a lot of um, our guests for the first time sharing some of their experiences. Um, So just an opportunity for us to see ourselves within each other um, through shared lived experiences. Um, I used my my experience in um, interviewing these women, to uh, legitimize their stories as well as my own through uh, the first research study conducted on intersectionality in the music business called A Seat at the Table, a perspective on women of color, the music business. Um, and I've had the opportunity to present this data um, on international stages like Music Biz Conference and South by Southwest. And uh, it's an opportunity for the industry to utilize the data and create more equitable opportunities for a marginalized group of people. But it also gives us as women of color um, a source to legitimize what we've been experiencing how, how we've been navigating uh, through the, some of these challenges. Um, and so then Duke Joint Foundation is a nonprofit organization I founded as a way to, to create a community um, to for an opportunity for us to expand our networks uh, within the music industry, and to access funds for scholarships and business grants that often were overlooked for those opportunities, those funding opportunities. Um, and the other side of that coin is also to give the industry a much-needed access to vetted, diverse uh, groups of talent. So um, it's just a full circle opportunity for women of color to have a safe space. Very much so.
0: I would say you're, you're giving the women a voice, not only placing a spotlight, but giving them a voice. And you're a beautiful blend of the A and the T and STEAM, right? Thank the arts you. And maybe a little science. So I would say three of the five acronyms you've nailed in terms of, you know, being a data analyst with with the science.
1: It's all part of, you know, finding purpose and meaning and utilizing the, uh, the skill sets that you have. Um, You know, being authentic and true to yourself and solving the problems that you yourself have, right, Um, helps to motivate you and to push you to continue in the direction that you're going.
0: And if we can go back to that case study, the seat at the table, Mm -hmm. I know that some of the topics you cover are education, career development, family dynamics. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we drill down and let's get to the data for a second, there's an underrepresentation of women, as you mentioned. And in mm-hmm. your study, I saw you on Earth, that 8.4% of women are in the music industry. You mm-hmm. peel back those layers and it gets you know, a little bit smaller when you think about 26% are white women only 3% are Black women.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the stat is for every 18 white male music executives, there are, there's only one Black female executive. And in an industry where... Black and brown stories are coveted, you know, hip-hop, rap, and Latin music, the top-selling genres, to not be at the helm of those narratives, to drive those narratives, is a bit disingenuous. And so uh, part of what the study is allowing us to do is to, is to address specific challenges, whether it's barriers to entry, whether it's creating more um, equity so that when we enter these rooms, we have mentors, we're being considered for promotional opportunities, we're, you know, attempting to um, to address the disparities in racial and gender wage gaps, um, you know, to create a more um, equitable system for everyone. Um, so yeah, it's unfortunate that these are some of the statistics that exist out there, but what I know is that businesses don't move without data. And so it's important to have this, this information out there. Um, Yeah, there are a lot of uh, disparaging uh, statistics. You know, the majority of women of color um, take out student loan debt in order to finance their education, which they are overwhelmingly uh, obtaining at least a bachelor or higher uh, degree of education. Uh, But because they don't have the relationships into the business, um, they take on unpaid internships as well. So living in these major metropolitan areas with student loan debt, you know, looming over you and not being paid for your work. You know, it shows that there is a privilege to be in this business. And a lot of women of color just cannot afford to be here.
0: You know, I was at Microsoft for our customers for Microsoft to pontificate. But you know, how do you how do you drill down? How do you solve for that is the big thing. And so when I left Microsoft to start my own business, I started studying the corporate ladder. And mm-hmm. the obvious rung that's broken is when people get you know married, they have families, and one of the partners mm-hmm. takes a step back. And if it's you know the yeah. traditional relationship, it's it's the wo- the woman, and mm-hmm. so she has to reinvent herself. Well, I started to study more Janisha, and I said there's another rung on the ladder that's broken, and it's the entry level. Yeah. And we as women, women of color, women in general, we count ourselves out too soon where men don't. Mm-hmm. And we shouldn't do that. And so what lit me up reading about you
1: is this barrier of entry. Yeah, I mean, again, it just boils down to the lack of resources and relationships. This is a relationship-driven business. And oftentimes, you know, by way of having a friend or family friend that is already in a senior leadership or hiring management position, affords certain people the opportunity to enter into the business without certain levels of qualifications skills or experience, and women of color just can't afford that because they don't have those relationships. So they'll go through the proper channels. Most most often times, even if they're recommended for a role, they're undergoing an application process. Um, And then, you know, again, we were speaking about the unpaid internships. So it's you know, bare minimum, just through the grit of wanting to be in this business, they're taking on these, you know, very, very entry-level roles. Um, and giving my research study too, a lot of young women that are in college, they're taking on, you know, business related classes, but sometimes the schools that they're attending don't offer curriculum based off of music business. And so they're having to learn kind of through trial and error or, you know, coming through from the management side or using the relationships as a performer to, to understand more about business operations. Whereas, you know, they don't realize finance or technology or legal, how that translates into the business as well. So um, what we're trying to do with Juke Right Foundation, we're recruiting a lot of student members as well so that they can gain mentorship, um, so they can gain uh, relationships before entering into the business. People that can actually say their name in rooms and help to promote them throughout their careers
0: and we're never really taught a lot of the soft skills in society right we're told as girls to be nice how about being respected and respectable right that's something that's really really important and so what i love about your brand and brands is you're not just a singer and musician a podcast host a speaker you're this publishing expert with yeah. data driven you know information to give positive results to girls, mm-hmm. to give them that courage and that confidence to go after paid internships, to understand the soft skills of the art of networking. Something another thing that we're never taught.
1: Yes. Networking- advocating for yourself is the most important thing. Um if you don't believe in yourself, no one else will. And I believe that it's important as a leader to be the to lead by example. You know, it's one thing to be on the sidelines and preach to people about how they should live their lives. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a result of, you know, knowing what value I bring to the table and what my worth is and what skill sets that I have and flipping the script. So essentially I worked for a major um, record label and building their publishing infrastructure. I was able to then transition from an employee to now then they are my client. And I think that is a a route that a lot of women don't realize that they can take. Um, I also just speak on, we were talking about, you know, the lack of promotional opportunities and and advocating for yourself to to get promoted. Um, A lot of women of color, and what what my study shows is that most of us, even if we're in this industry beyond 10 plus years, um, we don't find ourselves in senior leadership roles. We we end up getting you know stuck in that mid management role and so you know women of color are the highest rate of entrepreneurs in America and that's because of that right when they're not able to reach beyond mid mid-manage- management mid management they start their own companies in order to expand and to challenge themselves and, and to be a leader and I'm no different <laughs> I'm no different that was my story and so what I to do with juke joint is to offer you know business grants and funds to women of color who find themselves in this mid-management role but lack the funds to start their own businesses Mm -hmm.
0: do you ever empower women to stay at their current employer and climb that ladder
1: yeah i mean entrepreneurship is not for everyone um and everyone doesn't have the space to be able to do that you know i we spoke about this i don't have a family so for me My responsibility is to myself and my dog. Um, And it's not to say that people with families can't be entrepreneurs, um, but it is a a heavier responsibility to to carry and to start a business. So, um, And I also would say that for what it's worth, um, we need to learn in general the value of our skill sets. And it takes time for us to understand that. I wouldn't just offer entrepreneurship to someone who hasn't um, honed their craft, you know, or who hasn't established relationships and potential clients before jumping into entrepreneurship. Um, so yeah, I I wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't say that's a one size fits all situation, but I do feel that entre- entrepreneurship is an opportunity for autonomy and financial security it's not for the faint of heart exactly. and
0: it's a different hat than wearing the corporate hat. So when you become a corporate refugee, you do need a certain skill set, and yes. if you have it. And if you don't try to learn it right and seek the net, right resources, networking relationships. So I think it's wonderful what you're doing in terms of not exactly. only profit, but giving back and helping those qualified women rise in the ranks. Because oh, there's more women like you out there in the world helping the qualified women
1: soar. Yeah. And I think representation matters too. So the fact that someone can see someone that looks like them is in this position gives them the opportunity to see themselves there as well. Mm-hmm. Gina Davis does a lot
0: with Hollywood and movies and depiction of girls, women, and even mature women, right? Mm-hmm. Women's 60 plus. And it's, it's a much needed thing because if we don't see it, we can't become it.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's important for the media to also show that. Um, I think the media does, um, doesn't necessarily do the best job at portraying us in different facets. We usually take on just the matronly roles or the housekeeping or the caretaking roles in the media. And for women of color, you know, uh, one of the statistics of my study showed that the majority do not feel like the industry portrays us in a positive light. And so the way that, that, that manifests itself into the boardroom, you know, <laughs> the way it manifests itself, um, you know, with denigration or misogyny, or we call it misogynoir or, um, uh, just being overlooked for promotional opportunities or the microaggressions or <laughs> intimidation and, or you know there's so many different layers to it but the media can really if if we challenge the media to represent us in a more accurate way then society will then treat us um you know more fairly i think
0: because mm-hmm. there's so much unconscious bias in addition exactly. that still exists that we really need to work on for us and for for our future and you practice what you preach janisha so you have the uh juke joint it's hard to say that fast juke jute joint foundation juke. so juke joint juke see yes Yes. like jukebox juke There's joint story. say it again <laughs> juke joint foundation <laughs> but you also give back by being a mentor for black girls who code mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah so black girls could i've actually been a um a non-technical volunteer for them for years now. Actually, I would say probably more than ten years at, at this point. Um, their organization helps young girls and that are interested in STEM um, from marginalized communities gain resources, but an educational, hands-on opportunity to build, you know, software or you know. Um, build products on the internet, like, it's really comprehensive what they do there, and it's a way for for you know, to give back, you know, I've, I've been successful in my career, and I do feel a bit of a role model for these young girls um, to see what they can become, and to help nurture their interest in STEM. It's not a sexy place to be, you know, it's not sexy, but what I do like about Um, being in technology is you're on the forefront of trends. You're the creator of the new world. So um, it's an exciting place to be. The pay isn't too bad either. No, exactly. Right. Definitely.
0: what I love about tech is it's it can be used for good in most instances to make the world a better place, to make collaboration mm-hmm. and communication stronger, only exactly. the work that you
1: and I do. I just love that organization. And actually, um, the founder of Black Girls Code has a, a saying, she says, that if you're not inviting women, women and people of color to the conversation, then you're not doing the work you're supposed to do. And so she's also someone who leads, by example, um, Kimberly Bryant. is, is um, And I love what she's done with her organization.
0: And women that are Black in tech, I mean, that's such a low number.
1: Exactly. And even lower in music tech, you know, because I'll say this, you know, so the research study shows that the majority of women of color in the music industry enter in, or occupy um, front-facing roles, marketing. Management, ANR, a lot HR. of times, huh? HR. <laughs> HR, especially now with the new influx of like DEI, you know, hires or what have you, um, which in my opinion is very performative. But, you know, I've had a lot of conversations with heads of DEI um, departments and they're doing the work that needs to be done, you know, and I see that they're um, wanting to create change but we're starting to see some of the industry is divesting from those programs too so or regression regressing from those um those uh programs but with all of that said women of color in tech and in music tech to your point very lucrative sector of the business right now data is king you know being able to tap into Web3, um, especially with the introduction of AI into the music space, there's so much potential for people of color in general to tap in. And it's necessary because, you know, we had this incident where the music industry released this AI artist called Effinica. And it failed as quickly as it began because there was a lack of diversity in the rollout strategy. It was a lack of uh, 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 understanding the cultural sensitivities in releasing this artist. It was, um, you know, an artist that glorified police brutality and street culture. It was a racially ambiguous artist that tattered the N word in its lyrics, and so it was just a wreck, you know. And it was a huge liability for the company that created it. So by having more diverse groups of people. It creates a filter for these cultural biases within the the technology um, and saves these companies a lot of money.
0: (laughs) So thank you for that example. What's another example where AI can be used for good in music?
1: So right now, the music industry is tapping into emerging markets like Africa, India, Latin America, um, you know, uh, uh, Pacific Asian territories as well. AI can be useful for translation tools, especially as it relates to processing data from these these foreign territories. That's a challenge that is experienced across the board in the music industry uh, because our systems are based on Eurocentric values, right? Or or English-based systems. Um, So you disenfranchise a lot of these territories um, by having the lack of technology. And AI can definitely assist with with that, mm-hmm. cultural and language barriers.
0: And going back to the diversification in tech, I know that's a, a hot button for you. So, for what sure. are some of the the resources you're offering to make tech more diversified?
1: Yeah, so Encore Music Tech Solutions is my uh, tech consultancy agency. Um, we are, our specialization is. And harnessing diversity in order to expand and scale music business operations into emerging markets. Um, So, we're making sure that not only people of color find music technology to be a cool space to enter into, and that this is another lucrative sector of the business that they can participate in, but to allow the industry to tap into diverse groups of people on the tech side who can help them uh, navigate. These new territories and the new, these new spaces, so and to help circumvent these cultural biases in the technology.
0: Very nice. Now, we talk about music, Janisha, I'm just want to know what what's your favorite genre? I grew up on classic
1: soul, so, so Aretha Franklin, you know Nina Simone, Marvin Gaye, Stevie Wonder. Like these are the people that you know. They're just they're incomparable, incom- really. They're just beyond skilled, and their music is classic, hence classic soul, <laughs> um, timeless. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
0: I what about you? Who's your
1: um, favorite artist? Well, I love
0: the eighties. Anything, okay. anything. Tina Turner and God rest her. Yeah. Own. Tina is one of my favorites. So much so, I dress up as, wow. as her. Ho- on Halloween, and I've got the Tina Turner wig. Entered. Oh my gosh!
1: Well, I'm sorry that she's no longer with us, but her legacy lives on through her music. Um, another trailblazer, you know? Yeah, yeah. And in, in, in rock and roll, you know, it's I when I was in Nashville for the Music Biz Conference last week, um, I visited the National African American Music Museum, and the first ten minutes. You're, you're watching this video about the history of Black music um, in America. And you just realize that most genres were, we're um, grown from the culture, African-American culture, rock and roll, country, you know, obviously hip-hop and rap, you know, it's just, I love that for us. Like <laughs> I gotta say, like, I really do feel proud of being a person of color in this industry because we're coming from a space where a lot of a lot of these genres and excuse the tangent I know we're not we weren't necessarily on this topic but um, a lot of the originators of the music that we love come from black and brown stories and so it's something to be proud of i I do love that it's our stories that are being um, brought to the forefront And mm-hmm. you've got rhythm good beat <laughs> I've got little kids so
0: to truthfully answer the the last part of your question about what music i like in addition to the 80s i like some good rap and hip-hop when i'm all right
1: our solo yeah, that's amazing so who are some of your you know on your playlist right now that you're listening to
0: oh my gosh i mean oh you i gotta put me on the spot but it's just what's ever on the radio really right uh yeah that takes me back this is terrible that i can't think
1: would you put me on the spot <laughs> I'm sorry about that. you're doing to do an interview this is a little the interview speak. a podcaster like i go back into interviewer mode do
0: no do this is good this that's is the- fun um oh my gosh it's it's hard to just pick one
1: you right. know anything well, that's the funny thing is that like there's so many so much music being distributed out there now that there aren't so many people that are like um extreme fans right most of the music that we're listening to on our playlist are people that we grew up on now we're in nostalgia mode um there really isn't um i would i would go to that and say that there aren't any die hard fans of new music anymore we're not sitting with artists enough to become fans um but you know sometimes it's the soundtrack of our lives you know it's playing you know, most of the time, you know, we're out and about. So I understand how it might be difficult to to think of someone. Yeah,
0: I've got one. Finally, got one, Janisha. Oh, because right.
1: I'm
0: going to, going to the STL, St. Louis, this weekend. Nelly.
1: Okay, man, that I would have never guessed. know yeah. <laughs> yeah, Nelly. He was Um, he's got timeless music. Also, you know, obviously, haunting here is his. You know the thing that skyrocketed his career, you know, put St. Louis on the map. And so St. So Louis, that's funny. I've never been there before.
0: Oh, well, you should join me this weekend.
1: Uh, <laughs> it's yeah. yeah. A lot of culture out there. So.
0: Yes. Yes. So talking about putting things on the map, mm-hmm. you mentioned something about 10 minutes ago and I don't want to gloss over it because you're a woman who goals. Yes. And one of your dreams came true. One of your many, being a publishing expert. And you said you were mm. a large publisher, or music publisher. And we've got to call it out by name, Empire. Because yes, it's a huge record company and other, your client. Yes. Thank you so much. So yeah. what about Because that is, you know, we always see success, right? And we never hear the perseverance. And you probably right. have that as a goal. I barely know you, but I can tell you're goal-driven. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, well, the, the truth of the matter is, you know, performer, as someone who was a singer, songwriter, producer, and self published by the age of 16, I had an understanding of publishing for a very long time. Um, and I realized that that was the place where a lot of um, creators would make a lot of their money, especially moving from physical to digital sales. You know, obviously, there's not a whole lot of money to be made on the streaming platforms. For a creator. So um, when I graduated college, publishing uh, was the place that I targeted to start my career because not only did I want to help the creator make a living in the industry, but I realized that there was some security there, job security there. Um, There aren't a lot of people in publishing, you know, so if you can build a career in that sector, you have a competitive advantage. Um, So I started off working for a boutique music publishing firm in New York City called Memory Lane Music Group, whose catalog consisted of standards like What a Wonderful World and Santa Claus is Coming to Town. And there were only about 10 of us in the office on any given day, so everyone wore many hats. And I just became became a sponge learning as much as possible about this niche sector, and that helped me in transitioning to another publishing company, E-1, formerly known as Koch Records, now known as Monarch Music. Um, and at the time, as senior royalties manager, I handled the mechanical licensing and copyright administration for the entire um, catalog which was like Death Row Records and Bad Boy Entertainment and Aftermath and Slim Shady Records and all these urban labels that needed, needed publishing. Uh, I was there for about a year um, and then I was picked up by Cobalt Music Publishing, one of the largest independent publishing companies in the world, um, as their sole sync income tracking manager. So for four years I was with their sync licensing department Collecting about a third of the business income from the US, Canadian, and Latin American territories. Uh, And because of my involvement in streamlining their global income tracking processes and working with their tech development team, I was picked up by Empire to help them build their publishing infrastructure. So it's been a journey, you know, but I think I've learned, you know, step by step what it requires to not only launch a Publishing company and to run a publishing company, but some of the challenges each of these companies face in terms of their technology and to bring that um, expertise to, uh, like you said, one of the one of the um, more I would say upcoming <laughs> empires as a major label or major independent label, but. Their publishing um, sector is, is brand new. They just launched in 2020. So being able to be involved in building their infrastructure is uh, is amazing. And so for the past three and a half years, I've built everything from a royalties processing um, system to an agreements module to financial analysis dashboard and streamlining their client portal. Because of the success of those developments, I was able to leverage that to start my own business, and uh, then contract as their tech development um, entity. So Encore Music Tech Solutions consults Empire Publishing now.
0: Beautiful. And when you were thinking about making this move, Janisha,
1: what pushed you over the edge? Well, that was really because knowing the value that I bring to the table, excuse me, but not being able to go beyond mid-management. I realized, you know what, I need to, I need to start my own business <laughs> to be taken seriously. <laughs> Even though I, I had brought a lot to the table, i you know, it's, it's just hard to penetrate that, you know, go from mid-management to senior leadership. It, it's, it's, it's difficult. So um, I started my own company pitch to them, you know, what I'm able to continue to build for them in the coming years. And luckily, the CEO of Empire is also from a marginalized group. He is an entrepreneur. So he understood my plight and, you know, supported my journey to entrepreneurship.
0: Wonderful. And to have those kind of sponsors, which we'll get into in a minute, is super important. But I'd be remiss, as you were talking I wonder if you and I have the same business coach because I'm thinking of Uh my brand. Uh And you said royalties a few minutes ago. Mm -hmm. I'm all about finding ways to have passive revenue streams. So royalties background and the licensing background, I give you a lot of credit because someone would look at your resume and say, oh boy, she's so busy, four or five companies. What do they have in common? But they're methodically put together to succeed
1: yeah, they're all, they've all got the same red thread. Um, It's to empower women of color in the music industry. That's the mission, to expose them to different avenues where they can make a living in this business that are, will offer a better work-life balance, um, but but also to build a community and to let them see themselves in a way that they wouldn't traditionally be able to do it. So um, yeah, it's all along the same lines. In terms of royalties and licensing, it's um, publishing is one of those spaces that if you understand it, you can make a lot of money in this business. Yes, it's about relationships as well, but your relationships aren't necessarily with the DSPs or digital service providers. They're with production agencies and supervisors and um, performance um, venues, people that will exploit the music on a grander scale. So, you know, that's why publishing is so, is so lucrative. There's just so many more opportunities. So
0: and with add. the success, you're giving back to the communities too. So that's something to be said about your character.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I, I feel like uh, and it's something that, um, it's something that I tell my colleagues and my peers is that I, I don't have to do any of this extra stuff. <laughs> like it better than, you know, hopefully eventually Encore, you know, will become a business where there are a lot of people of color in the music and tech space. That's the, the thought process with that. And it's an opportunity for us to build technology to license music companies and expand that way. But the the nonprofit and the podcast and the research study, these are not things that pay me. You know this it's it's not something I'm doing to gain financially from. It's something that I can do to uh, increase awareness to some of the social inequities and to allow people to have the space to to, uh, to succeed and continue to build your credibility. You know the interesting thing is that so i'm doing I'm being in, um, invited to do a lot of international panels right now. But the majority of them is based off of the technology and the publishing space. So the credibility, interestingly, is coming from the operations, the tech side um, of my skill sets. And it's just, um, I don't know, it just compounds the credibility because there aren't so many people of color in this space. So I'm offering a new perspective.
0: Mm -hmm. And may I add? passion to the credibility, because I heard that you have a passion
1: for travel. I do. I've been blessed to travel the world. This is my travel inspired room, by the way. I don't know. There's I a... see it. The zip codes. The... We have some passport stamps on the, on the wall. And I've got a lot of chop skis from uh, places that I've been able to travel to um, Southeast Asia and Africa uh, Europe, and the only continent I haven't been to, well, there's two or three. <laughs> um, I haven't been to Australia. I haven't been to, um, uh, you know, Antarctica. I haven't been to South America yet. So South America is definitely on the trajectory, but What's stopping you? yeah. huh? What's stopping you? Nothing, you know, there's just the world is big, right? It's huge. And we had a to um, pandemic, too. Exactly. Where are some of the places that you like to travel to? Well, I loved Italy, France. Love it.
0: Yes. Hawaii, the Caribbean. I haven't been to Hawaii yet.
1: I keep oh, hearing I hear amazing things about it.
0: True paradise. True paradise. That's what, I,
1: that's what I keep curious of. And now that I live in California, it's not too far traveling there so I think right. that is definitely on the bucket list
0: my 2024 is Palm Springs speaking of California I've never been
1: N- neither have I but yeah for a
0: great yeah <laughs> great- it's, like, I hear it's the 1950s it's like the rat pack life slows down I mean that's my jam
1: what kind of traveler are you are you, are you like are you a foodie or do you do the touristy things I like a little mix of both but ever mm-hmm. since I got married
0: nine years ago, I do like a good beach vacation because we're so two little kids. It's nice to stop the clock and have yeah. a good meal and good glass of wine.
1: So I like to kind of. Yeah. Mess up. <laughs> oh. I love that. You know, so I try to do two um, trips a year. Um, if it's not business, I'll try to do um, one where I can explore the culture and do all the touristic things and, um, it's like usually I'll have an itinerary and I know exactly what I'm doing every hour. Like it's it's a bit intense. And then the other trip, I'll usually it's a beach beach vacation, just to take a load off, zen out, you know, enjoy some drinks on the beach, like you said.
0: Yeah. Well, oh, you're you're making me crave some sand right now. Yeah. I, where are you based out of? Chicago area. So. Oh are okay. Close to <laughs> Hawaii. And I
1: don't, and I, Arizona, Chicago, I mean, never been there either, but, um, there's an organization called global Cre global entrepreneurship creative or something like that. Um, they have a facility for, uh, entrepreneurs to, you know, handle some of their workflows and meet people and webinars and art class classes and things like that. Um, they're based out of Chicago and they've been inviting me to, to come and do my research study presentation. So maybe I'll, maybe I'll be making a trip out there soon. I'll have to, uh, I'll have to, you know, reach out to you when the time comes. Yeah.
0: We'll grab lunch. Yes. Your presentation. So I would love it. I'd love it. So as we wrap today, you were, I think maybe even with this organization, South by Southwest, you had an interview. And you've done a great job talking about mentors and why it's so important for bringing girls and students up oh. through Girls Who Code, for example, and some of your foundation work. But mentors versus sponsors. And we go yes. ahead networking, where we all started, right? The Art of Communications in today's conversation. We all want to belong. Why is a sponsor better than a mentor?
1: So a mentor is someone that can give you feedback on your work. Traditionally, they've been in your shoes, they've climbed the ranks, or they've at least gotten to a place where they can offer some insight. Um, They can help you navigate some of your weaknesses and some of your strengths so that when you're pitching yourself out in the world, you know what to present. Um, But that's pretty much where it ends. And for a lot of people, your mentor can also be your friend. It doesn't have to be someone that's like, In the same, you know, uh, it doesn't even need to be the same industry. Just be can be someone that sees sees who you are as a a, um as a friend or just as a person and tap into who you what your skills are and all of that. But what a sponsor does is they'll see your name in the rooms where it can offer opportunities to advance either financially or uh, through your career or you know through um, investment, which it, it doesn't always have to be um, th- financially, but that helps. <laughs> um, there are the people that will um, see what you're doing and offer, offer more uh, concrete support to get you from point A to, to point Z.
0: So mentors and sponsors, both equally important when it comes to careers. But I never knew what a sponsor was until I was in my thirties, Janisha. And I'm no longer in my thirties. And I oh. know what they were in my twenties. And I like to say that sponsors positively speak about your positive accolades
1: behind mm. closed doors. And they have a seat mm. at the table. A seat at the exactly.
0: table. <laughs> exactly.
1: Exactly. Um, and what we found with the research study, like, In terms of mentorship, because unfortunately, it's very hard for women to find people that well, women of color, find people that have the resources to get them um, as sponsors, you know, so mentorship is really where we have some level of access. However, even women of color lack mentorship, the majority do not have mentors. Um, And when they do, they're also same sex mentors. So I think this is an opportunity for more men to be involved in supporting women who, and men typically have access to the resources, so they're likely to become sponsors as well. Um, so for anyone out there who's listening or who's watching, if you're a man in the, in the music industry, reach out to the women um, around you and see how you can lift them up and support them in a meaningful way.
0: Yes. Well said, and I'll add in any industry in STEAM men, right? And also the qualified women uplifting the other qualified women. So on that note, lovely to meet you and best to you.
1: Thank you so much, Gail. It's been a pleasure.
0: Special thank you to Janisha Jones for being today's guest. Shout out to New Voice Studios for producing today's podcast, and to you, our valued listener. The three key takeaways from today's conversation with Janisha is advocate for yourself. Secondly, lead by example, we have to be practicing what we preach, whether we're in corporate or an entrepreneur, because no matter what people are watching us. So we need to lead by example, for the greater good of this world. And lastly, know the value of your skill set, own your craft. I like to call it know your worth. And when it comes to the four piece of marketing, when you're marketing your personal brand, price, product, promotion in place, when it comes to price, it's knowing your worth and going after it, asking for that raise, asking for that promotion, but also having the confidence in your skill set to shine. I invite you to visit gailkeller.org for more information on how I can empower you to take your calculated steps in risk-taking to reinvent your professional life. I also invite you to follow me at underscore gailkeller on Instagram, as well as my latest handle, underscore I am Theodora, where I'm launching a toy line this fall that complements the adult characters in my book with five children's books, five plush dolls, and much, much more centered around girl power in STEAM. Thank you and stay courageous. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.